This very interview took place live inside the Influencer Vault. If you want to learn more about becoming a member so that you can see the video of this interview and a lot more and be a part of weekly interviews that take place and have opportunities at your fingertips to speak, write, and be interviewed, go visit theinfluencervault.com today and sign up to get your free gift and then you'll uh, be directed to the website to learn more about the Influencer Vault. Hey everybody, it is Corey Poirier and back here live with another uh, edition in our interview series and super stoked to have a guest with me who I've known now for almost a year, but this is our very first interview and I, I can't say that often because I do a lot of interviews and usually within a year I'll have interviewed somebody. We were just talking about the university side if this was the right time. So Wiley McGraw, which I love your name, it's got this it's got this vibe, I can't even think of what it's like almost like... Um, it makes me think of what's his name, uh, Wiley Coyote. Mixed yeah. with it's just got this cool, like I don't know how to even describe it, like a cool folky type name to it. Uh, I, I love that. And uh, so, Wiley, having said that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for those that might be discovering you for the first time today? Absolutely, Corey. First of all, I'm I'm stoked to be here with you as well. And you're right, the right timing always presents itself. So I think this is. Uh, a beautiful synchronicity and symbiosis. So I'm looking forward to just jumping in, having a great conversation. Um, yeah, I'm happy. I mean, when we met, and one of the things that stuck out, I think, for you as well was my past, the experiences of my life being a star athlete and a competitive bull rider and then a three-tour combat veteran. Those three very specific eras of my life really defined who I, I became as a man. And uh, just to share with your audience, I've been a, a performance accelerator behind the scenes working with high-powered CEOs, executives, public figures, influencers, uh, professional athletes for almost thir well, 13 years now. Uh, but since the pandemic kind of came around, it was it was time to really kind of put myself into the digital world. I had clients in the personal development space saying, hey, how do we talk about you and what you actually do since it's so different and so unique? Uh, and we threw things together and we started doing things like the podcast, you know, connecting with people like you and, and sharing my background and what it is that I'm, I'm out in the world doing with the leaders. So really, I, I grew up as an athlete. I grew up around uh, pro ball players, baseball players. My dad was a semi-pro ball player. So at, at the age of around three, I, I picked up a ball and my dad recognized the talent given the fact that he had his talent back in the day and started to cultivate that. And I became a pitcher. I pitched for about 13 plus 14 years. I was trained by the California Angels pitching staff. But for me, the stresses and the normal pressure that come with being an athlete were great. I, I was excited about them. I trained year in and year out, focus, hyper-focus on that skill set. But the family dynamics that played out that I grew up with, being kind of the, I would say, the different one, so to speak, in the family uh, unit, the one that was always uh, dumped on. People brought all of their stress, all of their chaos. My family utilized me as that place for their own uh, I would say reprieve. And I didn't realize that at a young age, I just didn't understand why it was happening to me. So those stresses basically broke my focus from being held under this idea that my dad wanted me to be this perfect athlete, perfectionism, focus on this. And if you don't do anything else, I'm going to be pissed at you. And that's it. You know, I don't love you anymore. You got to, you got to stay hyper-focused on this. The stresses of family dynamics and, and generational traumas and unresolved chaos 
overwhelmed me and pushed me away from that. And I decided that the only way I was going to un understand who I was as a man was to break away from the grips of control and what was expected of me and actually explore what I expected of myself. And that's where the world of bull riding came knocking. Uh, I jumped into it fearlessly, even though I was scared to death, because that is a world where you can get seriously hurt, if not killed. Um, and I remember that first time that bull fell on me after two and a half second ride, landed on my leg, pinned underneath me, locked eyes with me. And that stare briefly changed me forever. I felt this new beast inside me ignite. And I realized that, okay, that this is starting to make sense. I I'm starting to understand environments and what is necessary to really stretch yourself and challenge yourself. So I started to go after those more, uh, I would say those more uncomfortable environments and challenges, real world challenges to really stretch who I was, stretch my capacity to perform in my life the way I felt I was supposed to perform. And then I found that as that evolved and I, I had five years under my belt as a bull rider and did some competition that way, uh, I needed more. I needed to grow more. I needed to expand more of my capacity. I wanted more for my life. And that's when the military came knocking and I chose to join the United States Army. I was stationed at the 101st Airborne Division as a combat infantry leader. I wanted to jump out of airplanes, go to ranger school, do all those crazy hula stuff. And um, three tours under my belt. And I found in the middle of a war zone, Corey, and I, I want to share this bluntly here. I started to understand what was actually happening in my family dynamic, what stress really was and how it was actually affecting our performance, both personally and professionally, not just chalking it up to normal stress of life, but realizing what is the unresolved stress doing to us and how is it actually hindering our performance capabilities our potential, and what we really need to access all of that at once. And I started to realize in the middle of a war zone, this uncanny gift that I had that I didn't really grasp as a kid. The reason why it was the, the dumping ground, so to speak, if to use those terms for everybody's chaos and stress was I had the ability to see blind spots in people's performance, in their behaviors. I could understand what is really actually holding them back, despite what they might think is the problem. So utilizing that skill, I led my men, especially in Iraq, my third tour, and I, I started to perform even more at the top of my game. And I realized that there was so much more to who we are as human beings than the systematic approaches to compartmentalization of how we should be living life or how things should show up or how we should approach dynamics. And I started to explore self-mastery when I got out of the military and really define myself in that gift. And then I cultivated that gift by eradicating and facing all my demons, all my unresolved stresses from family, battled them head on with an outside force that loved me through every step of the way, held me accountable, made me face the most uncomfortable situations so that I can actually eradicate it and live a life of balance, peace, freedom, and experience all of who I was at one time so that I can maintain that, sustain it, and actually hit that level of peak performance people are dying for that they're chasing their entire life. So to close that kind of background up, I built the business that I do now around my gift, who I am, and the life that I live so that I can share with other people of higher capacity, higher standard, that they can too do that as well. But it's going to go, it's going to go far beyond traditional conventional methods of reaching the highest levels of performance. It's going to be about facing yourself, your truth in the right environments with the right relationships that actually challenge you in real world time to experience the acceleration of your potential into performance, if that makes sense. You know, it absolutely makes sense. And, you know, I, I um, what I love, one of the biggest things that I noticed right away with you, and it's what pulled me in, I, I mentioned, we met through um, a media conference and right. I mentioned to you right on, on the call, uh, things like your bull riding background 
and uh, you know your military background, but certainly your your bull riding background. It's not something you hear every day or see every day, right, and right. and then your sports background. Like I just mentioned, that bull riding really stuck out, and then the combination of all those is not something you hear every day, which I I, I like because it ties into this idea of peak performance. Because it feels like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like Wiley. Once we're tapped into how to become a peak performer, we can carry that to different parts of our life. Like it doesn't have to be that you know we become a peak performer as the one thing, like the bull riding, and right. nothing else. It feels like it carries over. Whether that's because you know, like I think of the ten thousand hour rule, and hmm. I've carried stuff from the ten thousand hour rule, uh, you know, that I was spending my ten thousand hours on over to other things. So, for instance. Uh, as a musician, first and foremost, I would go on a stage and I was terrified. I was that guy just was like frozen. Sure. And so I would play the songs and I would pretty much nail the songs. But I was in between the songs. I was just like a deer in the headlights. Then I went into stand up comedy. And interestingly enough, maybe no surprise. Uh, when I was in stand up comedy and then kept performing in music, people would say to me, oh, you know, I like your original songs, but to be honest, I like your storytelling in between as much or more. I like, you know, how you interact with the audience. And I'm thinking that was the thing I couldn't even do before stand-up. Right. And then, of course, stand-up comedy translates really well into public speaking, like being able Absolutely. to take and learn. So my point is, is that we hear about doing the 10,000 hour rules. I feel like you can shorten a lot of those hours if you know what to take from one to the other. But also I feel like once you've learned how to be a peak performer in one thing, you can, and I'll say you, I mean, I'll generalize, people can actually leverage that understanding to be a peak performer in other things. And, and I, I'm using the words lightly because I'm saying can and will and some yeah. people might because I don't think that everybody does. And I don't know if they realize they can. But it seems like, and this is, uh, I mean, so I'll circle back around to my original question. Sure, sure. Such a thing that uh, once you learn how to become a peak performer, you can take it then and apply it to different parts of your life. Well, first and foremost, absolutely. I'm going to dive into that real quick, but I want to, I want to share with you, I really appreciate what you said just to kind of tie in even what I just talked about was the fact that you put yourself in some of the most uncomfortable positions to really challenge you. And that is, that is what it actually takes to unleash potential. See, we, we get stuck in the idea that we need to figure out how to map out. I heard a CEO tell me once, how do I map out blowing past my limits? I said, you can't map that out. That's, that is something that happens in, in the real world in real world challenge in the right environments that make you very uncomfortable. If you consider the military, we do not know how things are going to go down. All we care about is I want to be an elite performer as a soldier, Navy SEAL, Green Beret, whatever it is. And they're going to put us through the most intense life-altering experiences that are going to really push us far beyond our own limits emotionally and mentally and even energetically so that all we have left is this like focused fighting machine. So when I take it to the table, when it comes to leadership and leadership development and being a human being, when it comes to your performance personally and professionally, because they're not mutually exclusive, what you just talked about, Corey, was I put myself in the scariest positions. I remember reading something about Ernest Hemingway. He used to throw up before he would go out on stage every single time. But man, that guy could perform when he get on stage because what mattered to him most was the performance and people's experiences with him. So he didn't care about the nerves or whether or not that was an uncomfortable environment. He did it anyway. And people, honestly, at the end of the day, and I, I, you'd be surprised how many public figures I've met that are actually scared of facing down their own truth and really experiencing something so radical and so unconventional, so uncomfortable that they, they only hire and bring in resources and people that they can somewhat control, despite what they might think they're doing with those resources. 
So to circle back to your question, I what I'm talking about, what I've discovered in my life experiences is that it's not about hyper-focus on one skill first. It's about optimizing you, who you are at the core first and every aspect of your life and your business then elevates really quickly. So we have this, uh, this unfortunate mindset that I have to stay really hyper-focused on making money and then I'll get to every other part of my life. And unfortunately, when you sacrifice, overlook, override, compartmentalize and sweep all of that stuff under the rug, you actually are not the most optimized you, even though you might make some money, have some notoriety. There's so much more power and potential that's still left untapped because you have basically avoided every aspect of your life, only focused on that one skill. So when I say that, I mean, peak performance is not, uh, I, I've worked with the hedge fund and some people on the financial industry, and they're all about performance from this quantifiable growth through these steps and these processes and understanding uh, mathematics, et cetera. And it shakes them up when I tell them performance is not that at all. Performance is actually a uh, direct uh, reflection of who you are in relationship to yourself at any given moment in your life. So every level of capacity that you stretch and grow is going to determine your performance. But then your performance is going to determine your level of success, not the other way around. Your success is not say, hey, now I'm a peak performer because I did all this. Who you are in relationship to yourself and others at any given moment will determine the limits of your success. And when you can stretch who you are on all areas of your life and you can face those truths and you can eradicate stresses that have been hindering your, your power and potential, you can actually bring balance into your life. You'll see that every aspect of who you are accelerates to the top of your game. And that's where you reach peak performance more sustainably and consistently versus this up and down roller coaster of chasing it, falling, chasing it, falling. And then people in business positions say, that's just cost of doing business or the cost of being human. Does that help answer that question? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And so I'm going to go deeper into the rabbit hole then, Wiley, sure. which is uh, how, so I guess the, the next step to that is, and again, I, I don't want to get you to give away all your secrets. I just, I'm just curious <laughs> as to at least the starting point for somebody who's just sure. hearing this for the first time, what are some things you recommend to people to even start taking step towards maybe a big step or a small step towards starting to turn this stuff on? Well, you and I just, uh, absolutely just covered that. And I, I will just reiterate again, it's it when it comes to personal growth, personal development, which, you know, unfortunately has been a bastardized uh, word or industry, especially transformation, et cetera, peak performance as well, you know, and I, I'm co-authoring a book right now with the bestseller on peak performance. And he was asking me the same question. And it, it comes down to, are you willing to be in the most uncomfortable environments to really be challenged in a way you've never been challenged? Because that is where you're actually going to access more of your potential, more of your power, you're going to see what you're really made of. When you can control how something shows up for you, when you can control, you know, what is actually going to be provided to you, you actually limit your vulnerability, you limit so much of who you are and what you're actually capable of. And people, some people need that. It's okay. All of those aspects of personal development are in the helping field, so to speak. They help people create movement create structure, create systems that really help them grow. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm looking at if you want to become an optimized version of yourself, you have to break away from needing to know how something's going to show up for you. You need to be willing to face things you have never actually looked at. You need to be in a position to be challenged that scares the crap out of you. You need to hire or bring on people that can serve as a, an outside force that will literally hold you accountable despite how much you don't like what's going on and realize that the real power that you have is on the other side of those challenges when you stretch your capacity. So 
I always say is if you're listening to this and you're in your, it depends on your level of capacity, whoever you are, small business owner to a leader at the top of the food chain, it's all about those real world environments, bringing on something that's actually going to be radical and different that challenge you, challenges you to stretch far beyond what you think you actually are or your limits might be and realize that whatever you think your limits are, they're just perception. The perception that are based on unresolved stresses, things that occupy space within your mindset, energetically, emotionally, and there's so much more to be done there first before you try to add more into your life to try to figure out how to get to the top of your game. It's about removal. And I've written a paper on that. It's all about the contrast of, um, you know, I it's why you need to get unfucked. And that's a word I use in a, in a lot of the things that I talk about is the five key contrasts that you need to understand to take yourself and your organization to the next level. And it's on uh, it's on my website, my anti-retreat page as well. And then there's another paper, Corey, that I wrote called Helping Versus Optimizing to give people that you're talking about that access to understanding what it really is going to take for them to accelerate, to get to the top of their game. Because why should we spend a lifetime chasing peak performance? Why not master it? Why not be in the position right now where we can master it and we can experience unencumbered success in ways we never thought that were actually possible? So that's where I would start. Yeah. So, so I love that. And so I wasn't making the correlation when you first said it toward the step that you can take after that. And I totally get it now. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I think about, um, well, there's a great quote by Neil um, Donald Walsh, mm -hmm. uh, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> so when we talk about comfort zone, because I want to ask you this specifically now. So again, I'm trying to dive deep enough so people know, okay, here's what I can start doing right away. Yeah. And so one of the things that I, in my, actually in my second TEDx talk, I talked about this specifically uh, about how uh, I talked about how for me, and I use the yeah. example, another example of me where I kind of, I guess, stretched my comfort zone was interviewing people. The first, when I was first interviewing people, I was interviewing uh, very small business owners, like, you know, one person, two person shows. Sure. And I wasn't certainly comfortable interviewing the celebrity business owners. So <laughs> I wanted to, and I don't know if I was wanting to stretch myself or if I just really wanted to learn from them. I don't know what the big driver behind it was, but I had a strong why. I just didn't know what the why was, but I made a list of a hundred people I want to interview. And then what I did was I said, okay, here's my top 100 list. Now, how do I do that? And so for me, what I had to do is, and I, I decided to use the same format every time I ex expanded my comfort zone is what I did was I figured out, okay, what's outside my comfort zone that I want to achieve. So for example, interviewing these hundred people is outside my comfort zone. So what are the baby steps? I called them. I can start taking to expand my comfort zone without me even realizing I'm doing it versus jumping in with the wolves. So with stand up, I jumped in with the wolves. Like I was like, we didn't yeah. even know we we're supposed to perform that night. And then we were told five minutes to showtime, you're performing. So I had a yep. choice to leave or, 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 you know, leave or stick around and, and experience it. I chose to stick around. Some people chose to leave. But my point is, is that it doesn't have to be that way. Like I, I said to other people, if that's not you, if you know that you would be the one that ran out the door, I'd rather see you succeed. So I said, why don't you take, why don't you figure out what some smaller steps are? So for instance, smaller steps, if you want to perform stand-up, could be go to the comedy club and watch other comics and take one out for lunch. Could be join a comedy uh, clinic or like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a workshop, mm -hmm. like a comedy group. You could read the comedy Bible by Judy Carter. You could watch right. comics and make notes of what, you know, the stuff you love. Now, none of that stuff is necessarily widely going to get you on the stage without you taking a bigger step. But what I mean is if you start doing a few of those things, you'll start gaining confidence that I know what jokes are actually are. I know how they work. I know the right. structure. So and that was a long tangent to say, uh, this is one of the kind of how I tell people to take short steps. Like, sure. you know, if I was playing music, I need to buy a guitar at some point if I want to be a guitarist. 
So anyway, what are your thoughts? Pressurization, Corey. That's, I mean, you're creating pressure within you by doing specific things that are probably required based on where you, and I talk about capacity constantly. We have to be willing to accept what our capacity is, but if we want more, we got to realize that has to stretch. What I mean by capacity is uh, you have an industry titan and then you have a small business owner. Well, the reason why that small business owner might be making hundred grand a year and that industry titan, titan is a billionaire is because that person has had more real world life experiences that have stretched their capacity to perform. We are all at different levels. We cannot try to jump from one spot to the other without actually being pressurized, stretched, pushed, and challenged despite how significant, small, big, little it is. And what you're saying is, and I, and I agree with that, is some people are in the positions where they need to buy a specific coaching program or they need to go sit down and read and watch those comics, et cetera, and they need to discover what pressurizes them so that eventually what happens is the environment presents itself that they are then on a stage and they know exactly how to stand, even if they might feel like they bombed it regardless. The fact is they end up there because they were willing to be uncomfortable in the process of self-discovery and self-mastery. That is truly a, the, the baby step at the end of the day, because I, I, I always my work is with high powered leaders, but I work with people that actually are have the desire, the capacity to really just want to be optimized. It doesn't matter if they've got a celebrity name or they're a, a seven figure business owner. There's somebody who's just in that position, who's so hungry and who's got the ability to be pushed. People taking those steps. It's like pressurize yourself and really be okay with that. And if you're uncomfortable just sitting there watching someone taking notes, then sit in that discomfort and let that stimulate you from the inside out versus trying to make sure that you kind of relieve that discomfort so that you can feel good about what you're doing. It's like, that's the moment where you're throwing up behind the stage and you just go do it anyway. That's really what it, what it takes. Yeah. Well, when, when you mentioned that about throwing up and I didn't know that Ernest Hemingway did that, but yeah. um, there's a guy, a Canadian musician. Um, his name is Alan. Uh, what is it? slipped my mind now today alan through but alan Frew, f-r-e-w and he's the lead singer of glass tiger oh, yeah, he sounds familiar yeah i think that okay yeah he's a really really big band in canada uh, i mean they were worldwide but canada is where they had their biggest fame and uh anyway he taught told me these stories about when he was first starting like he would uh throw up behind this the the, the amps and then you know one time he ran off the stage because he was so nervous it was at a university event or university show and he said the band with drummer was running behind him throwing the sticks trying to get him to stop and he ran all the way to his hotel room and it took them like a half hour to talk them out and he thought i'm never gonna get booked by this guy again and but then but as soon as he got on stage he crushed it right and so then you know then the audience was in and the audience didn't see him throwing up behind the thing but the point was that's how terrified he was and so he said he had to go through some smaller steps to eventually, like he had to go through some, I think he said he went through vocal training was one of the things. Because even though he could sing and was crushing it, he didn't believe himself that he could sing at that level. So go vocal coaching allowed somebody else to say, no, dude, you really do have this. You've got this. Absolutely. And, and so I would say, and I would say if I was uh, just hearing what you, you shared right now is you're right there. It's you, there's so much, people carry inside them that, that they, it, it's kind of like you're, you're carrying around more weight than you should. You have all of the stress that you're holding on to, and it comes from your, your life experiences. And I always say those life experiences create these undetectable patterns of doubt, fear, and cautiousness, period. They do. And then they occupy space within you energetically, emotionally, mentally, and they are things you're carrying around. And then you're, you're trying to add more into your life, but you've never removed that. There's so much of your potential that's being suppressed by that stress. And what people were holding him accountable for was facing that fear 
so that he can actually release or resolve or remove or somewhat move that energy out of him and allow his performance to actually become more. Because what he was feeling inside was he might have crushed, uh, crushed a song, a, a concert, whatever. But imagine what he would be capable of if he was completely eradicated with all of that unknown fear that he carries around from not feeling good enough, not be, thinking he is good enough or he, he's not the, as great as everybody tells him to. That's that self-doubt that sabotages people's performance. And I've seen it even with public figures, celebrities that I've been in touch with. I've had conversations that I've worked with. They are all carrying around, despite what people see on TV or out in public, there's so much behind the curtain. And until we get all of that handled, you're not going to be the best you. And you're going to be only a fraction of what you're saying that you are to people out there. So go back to that. Yeah, right. You throw up and you stand up there anyway and do it. In the military, when I went to war, and anybody listening to this that has been to combat understands this. It, we might be poised. We might be focused. Our game face is turned on. We are. Our training is like ingrained in who we are. We are peak performers in our job in the middle of a combat zone. When you start getting shot at, don't let anybody fool you that we're sitting there going, okay, we might be laughing because that's what we're used to. But inside we're like, holy crap, man, this is some scary crap. I don't even know what the hell is really going on inside me. But all I care about is everything clicks because I have done so much work to become the best soldier possible, especially when I became a leader and I started leading my men as a mortar gun system team leader and taking these guys into the most heinous situations. It's like we come out alive. The reason why is because we still execute because we have optimized who we are in that environment. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, there's that great quote that says, feel the fear and then do it anyway. And, you know, and I mean, again, like you said, different people are different places. So sure. it might be harder for certain people to do certain things. But, you know, I also, just before we move on in a different direction, yeah. you know, for our last 10 minutes, I like to ask some questions that, you know, that I, I try to ask most guests, even though I don't have a whole big structure. But, you know, when you were talking about this and the idea of sometimes you might need either the push or you might need, I, you know, I talk about having a buddy, you know, a buddy system, somebody that's there with you to make it a little easier. Right. And, you know, I think about the different stream, like whenever I did that stand-up thing where it was kind of like I was thrown to the wolves and with stand-up, it's you or it's pretty much, unless you have a duo, it's you and a mic and sink or swim by yourself. Like it's, you're not, you don't really have a support. You might have people that were there with you and it's, that are saying you can do it but at the end of the day it's still you and a mic well it makes me think about the last well i think i went twice but anyway the last time i, I jumped out of a plane i could say it for either the first time i jumped out of a plane either way i went tandem so for those yep. that haven't skydived uh basically that means i had somebody hooked on to me essentially and so uh you know i, I can tell you First of all, no plane, or I'll say no skydiving school worth their weight would ever let you jump out of a plane the first time by yourself anyway. I don't even know legally if they could. Like, I don't know. Actually, I'm a skydiver, so you can. It's what, called AFF, though. You chose to do tandem, which I did in 2012. But when you choose to do AFF, accelerated free fall, you actually go pay. You do a four to six hour ground course, and then you go up with two instructors who hold on to you. And when you have your own parachute system and you jump out of the airplane by yourself. So there's a choice uh tandems doing a tandem first is some drop zones require it that's just their own personal dzo operational stuff but for the most part career, yeah, i don't interrupt you anymore but that yeah you can actually do it on your own but even a tandem still shakes things up well and and to be honest i uh i didn't even know that because i think and, and again as you mentioned certain ones i don't know enough about it because i've jumped twice in my whole life and i didn't even i like the quote-unquote training they gave me i don't, don't think i paid, paid attention properly which you should you would think jumping out of a plane you should pay attention but with tandem i felt a little more comfortable i'm jumping out with somebody who has some experience right but at the school i jumped out of i i know when we talked about it i i mean i asked them a million questions and 
I know at that school, they won't let you one time, like your first time ever, jump out on your own. You have to. Oh, okay. Yeah, of course. So I, I, I thought that was the norm anywhere. So I just made that assumption, which I shouldn't have. But, but the point is for me, I wouldn't have jumped out of a plane on my own, no matter what, but I still want to conquer that fear of getting in a plane. Like, so I'm scared of heights. So right. for me, the fear was no less whether I was hooked on to 10 people or one. It was, but it was like the one thing it took away is the fear of me having to remember to like pull the, pull the shoot or something myself. Like, you know, it was, it took away a bit of that fear. Like, you know, at least I have somebody that knows what they're doing up here. But sure. at the end of the day, um, you know, with comedy, I didn't have anybody. So like what I'm getting at is both of them, I feel like it was, this, it was, it's almost the same amount of fear. Cause for those that haven't done it, if you're scared of public speaking, getting on a stand up stage is as close to thinking you're going to die without any physical proof that you're going to, as I can imagine, jumping oh, yeah. out of a plane uh, for, for somebody that's scared of heights, you feel like you're going to die. And so to me, they're kind of comparable, but the comedy I could do on my own because I felt like sink or swim, there's other comics that have started the same place as me. Like, it's like, this is, this is how comedy works. You learn it and you do it on your own. But with jumping out of a plane, I needed that push literally and figuratively. And so I only bring this up because to your point, uh, you know, sometimes you might need the extra push. You need to know where you, where you stand. And I know I wouldn't have overcome that fear if I did it myself the first time. I believe if I kept going at it, Wiley, like if I jumped out of a plane 10 times, maybe five times even, I would go on my own. But I'm saying that first time, I know I never would have gone on my own. So I never would have had that experience. Yeah. I, I mean, I wrote a little blog on my, my site as well, uh, why I throw all my clients out of airplanes. And and it's, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to do it with every single person. But I have worked with, I, I worked with some uh, financial executives and I took a couple of them skydiving because it was important for them to be vulnerable and open. And I needed to shake them up. And they were completely scared of heights. The fact, I mean, they were shaking in pale white when they were getting on the plane. And I was sitting next to them and we were just experiencing the, the moment together. And that's what it's really about is getting in those moments, having real world experiences that it, there's no system process. There's no step-by-step -step thing you, you're holding on to. You're really just in the most vulnerable position. And that's where I get to really access their power, their potential, and really get them going in the direction they say they want to go, that they've been chasing their entire life is because in the work that I do, it's a framework. It's not a process. I don't do programs. My work is intimate relationships with my clients. I work three, maybe four a year. Uh, and I and they're in a real world environment with me 24-7. It's like, I'm going to make sure you're the most vulnerable you have ever been because I'm going to get the most out of you from that. And I'm going to get you to the top of your game and keep you there. We're going to blow you past your limits. And like you said, skydiving, I love it. I have 600 jumps. I, I've been doing it for almost seven years. And it's the first, you know, hundred or so, whatever. I still had some butterflies, but I realized that I love what I get to do. I love and trust my gear. Uh, I know this is a risky sport. I know it's dangerous. I know things can happen just like bull riding, just like baseball, combat, et cetera. All of the things that I am as a man is because I was willing to, to put myself in those environments and be held in them so that every aspect of what was not allowing me to be my best was removed. And every part of who I was meant to be was actually heightened so that I can experience that joy, that peace, and that freedom, despite what might come my way. And like you said, the inner volatility you feel on stage, that part you learn how to manage your inner volatility. You will see how the external volatility actually becomes more um, balanced. You, you're able to actually navigate it much more frequently, much more powerfully. And you don't let any of that stuff actually affect who you are in any given moment in your life because you're able to manage that inner volatility. How can people connect with you after this interview? 
Wiley McGraw. I mean, my name gets misspelled so much over my entire life. We decided to do time to erupt.com just like it sounds, takes them right to my website. It's just a forwarding link, gives them access to a, ca a character index I created. So people can self-assess and see if they're in a position or ready to be optimized. And they can navigate through the website there and they can read uh, articles that I've put together, blogs I've written, and just grounded uh, philosophy and truth about what I discovered around human performance and really challenge themselves. And I'm, I'm always open for real world conversation for people that want it, that are motivated to have that kind of connection. So time to erupt.com. Uh, LinkedIn.com for, uh, forward slash Wiley McGraw as you and I are connected. Uh, and then as well, um, they can just uh, decide to reach out and have a conversation that's up to them. But I'm, I'm here for that. I, I'm always open to people that are motivated and have a deep desire to become more optimized versions of themselves. Again, this interview was from TheInfluencerVault.com. Come and join us as a member inside The Influencer Vault to see how we can help you up-level your game, become an expert sooner, and become an influencer today rather than tomorrow. Again, theinfluencervault.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.